So we're going to go ahead and continue on in the book of James. This is the seventh part in this series. And uh, if all goes well, I'm not promising anything, but if all goes well, we'll have today and next Sunday, and we will uh, finish up the book of James. Um, but just how you guys have been enjoying it and going through the book of James. It's such an incredible book. It's such a, uh, it's, it's a challenging book, even for us today, as we go ahead and learn what God has to say about uh, what's going on. And I always love reading the Word of God, and you're like, this still fits today. Like, even though everything is different, right? We have different technologies. We have all this different stuff, but God's Word is still applicable to us today. And that just is amazing to me, and it's, it's totally evidence that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit because it still applies to us today, and God doesn't change. Amen? So last week, as we were going through the book of James, we got up to, and we dealt basically with the power of the tongue, right? We learned about how this little tiny tongue in our mouth boasts such a great thing in our life. It has so much power to, to direct and to guide our lives, and we learned that that uh, a small spark sets a forest on fire, right? Such a great blaze. You got to hear about my story as a kid. Oh, I learned that firsthand. That's why Monique is up here laughing, because uh, I set a forest on fire when I was a kid. But uh, thank God nobody was hurt. And uh, hey, I have a great illustration to use when I teach out of this book now. <laughs> Hallelujah. We also learned to, uh, to pay attention to the things we say, how, how important the words that we use are in our daily lives. And uh, like I said, you guys have heard me, probably much to your annoyance, harp on, be careful with the words that you use. We have to be careful because they have meaning. They have power in our lives. We don't refer to ourselves as sinners. Just because we may sin, we're not sinners anymore. Sinner is an identity, but in Christ we are saints. So just because you may sin doesn't make yourself a sinner. So the whole, oh, I'm just a, a lowly sinner. No, no, you're not. Jesus Christ has changed you on the inside. You are something else. You are made brand new. So you're not a sinner. Anymore. And we don't say stuff like, oh, my, my headache that I have. No, it's not your headache. It's not supposed to be yours. Jesus Christ died so that you could be whole. It's not yours. Don't claim that in your life. Don't say those kind of things. What you say is important. And then we also learned, right, not to, to curse people with the same mouth that we bless the Lord with. And I always reminded, that always reminded me of the saying, would you kiss your mama with that mouth? But it's even more so because the same, if we're not careful, we can tear people down. We can, we can you know, we can curse people, bring them down. But it's the same Lord, that, the same mouth that we go on Sunday morning and begin to praise God. And there's something wrong with that picture. There's something wrong with that kind of attitude because we should not be praising God and then than being a gossip or, or tearing people down or making people, people feel miserable during the week. That's actually the definition of a hypocrite. You're doing exactly what you shouldn't be doing. But then we, we heard the bad news, right? Because and then he goes on to say, you know, watch, watch your mouth, basically. And then he says, but, but the tongue can't be tamed by man. And you're like, well, wait a minute. How am I supposed to, to, to take control of this thing when you just told me that every beast can be tamed by man except for my, my tongue? But then he gives us the good news, but with God, it's possible. So if you're thinking to yourself, man, it's so hard for me to, to get a hold of what I'm saying and, and, and control my mouth, uh, it's just God. God will help you through it. And I know this is a fact. And there's actually a, a couple examples where you'll, you'll see that you can control your mouth a lot better than you, than you thought you could. Who remembers when they were, when they were you know, a teenager? Probably easy for you guys. Real easy for you guys. Do you guys remember when 
your folks run around and you'd just you'd cuss all because you're trying to look cool in front of your friends and you would cuss and say bad words. You guys remember that? I remember that. You ever remember as soon as you got in front of your parents, it just stopped? Like you didn't even have to think about it. You didn't. You can control your tongue. I promise you. And the same thing with God. That's what I call control. That's the part, not the chapter. The part, not the chapter. Yeah, seventh. This is the seventh. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, uh, but yeah, you can control. And with God, you can control. I know that because in my life, I, I used to have a mouth that you would not believe. I mean, you would look at me now and, and, and I would be, you'd be surprised at who I used to be. Or maybe you wouldn't be surprised because many of us used to be that person. Oh, man, I used to, to uh, curse words were like, punctuation for me all the time and then I got saved and God took a hold of my heart something inside of me changed you know I didn't have to think about it I didn't have to try all of a sudden that's just not who I was anymore because God had changed me on the inside with the power of God you can control those things amen because the truth is what comes out of your mouth overflows from the abundance of your heart you can tell who people are by the things that they say and truthfully you can really tell who you are by the things you say when nobody's around, when you don't have your filter on, when you don't have the, you know, the, the mom filter that stopped you from cussing in front of your mom when you were a kid. That's when you begin to see who you really are. And if you have nasty stuff coming out of your mouth, it may be a time to take a second and say, hey, let's reevaluate some things. Let's change some things. Let's spend some time in the Word and find out who God actually says that I am. Amen? Amen. Well, that was the recap. Now we're moving on to James chapter 3, 13 through 16. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not, be, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Did you know that we can be as intelligent and knowledgeable as anybody in this world, but that would do us nothing without wisdom to go along with it? I mean, there are some super, super smart people out there. And they, I mean, they would blow your mind with the stuff that they know. Like, there's some people that have a grasp and understanding of different scientific systems and different knowledge that I, I, I don't even understand how they get their head wrapped around it. Or I see musicians that have such an incredible grasp and knowledge of how music works and the science behind it and the, you know, how the chords and, and the notes work together. And I'm, it just blows my mind because I, you know, I, I am a musician, but I'm not a terribly good one. And I see what these people are doing. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like, I can't even get my head around that kind of concept. But the truth is, without wisdom, none of that means anything. There are people that are so intelligent, but they can't carry on a conversation with you. They, they, they can't have interpersonal relationships. They, they don't have that part. They're so smart, but they don't have anything to work, it, work with that. It's the old, uh, you ever heard the, the difference between book smarts and street smarts? That's kind of how that works. Some people are so intelligent and knowledgeable, they have no wisdom to incorporate that in their daily lives. And wisdom is super important if you haven't noticed. Just by reading through the scriptures, you'll find that wisdom is, is, is kind of a, an important thing. In Proverbs 4, 7, it says, the beginning of wisdom, I love this, this is the, the craziest 
proverb. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. The beginning of being wise is just starting to go out and get some wisdom. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks, so, so that's the question. How do we get wisdom, right? If the It's kind of like, you know, you got to get a job to get experience, but you need experience to get a job. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. So now it seems like we're in a rock and a hard space. How can we be wise if we don't have wisdom? When the start of wisdom is to get wisdom. But let me give you a little secret. We, we already talked about it at the beginning of this whole series. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. Let him ask God, who gives generously without reproach. I always love that too, because we can ask God and we don't have to feel bad about being unwise. We don't have to be like, I know you're going to think I'm dumb, God, but can you give me a little insight on this? Because he says he gives generously without reproach. Matter of fact, he probably thinks you're more dumb when you don't ask for advice, ask for wisdom from him. So the question is, what is wisdom? You guys ever thought about that? This is another one. I love the definition for what is wisdom. And this is according to the dictionary. The quality or state of being wise. They're like using the word to, de- to, to define itself. But it says the, the quality or state of being wise, knowledge of what is true or right, coupled with just judgment, just judgment as to action, sagacity, discernment, or insight. In other words, it's the ability to think and act using your knowledge and insight. You can know all kinds of stuff in the world, but if you don't know how to, to use that knowledge correctly, it's not going to do you any good. You guys want to know the, the simplest example? Intelligence is knowing that tomato, a tomato is a fruit, right? But wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. That's the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge says tomatoes are fruit. Wisdom says don't put it in your fruit salad. Of course, people put mayonnaise in their fruit salad, so I don't know. Maybe that doesn't make any sense at all. We see this is where things start to break down, though, because there's actually two realities of, of wisdom. And this is where the world clashes with God, because godly wisdom is not the same as worldly wisdom. They are on two different, they're, they're opposite, polar opposites of each other. And, they cl- and they, oftentimes they clash with one another. They're at odds, polar opposites. You see, godly wisdom is hearing and doing the word of God. If you want to be wise in the kingdom of heaven, just read your word, hear your word, and do it. It's actually a pretty simple formula on paper. The, the reality is, is living that out, I understand, can be tougher. Then it's, it's, it's a lot tougher than doing it than actually saying it. I recognize that. But that's the start. Hear your word, read your word, and, and do it. And you'll be walking in wisdom. James says the wise and understanding man in his conduct shows his works in wisdom. That's what he's saying right here. The wise, by his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of his wisdom. The wise and understanding show that in, in the stuff that they do. They live it out. The word of God. And it's wise to live a godly life. It is, that is wisdom right there. To, to read his word and glean the bits of how to live our lives. I began to live that. All the stuff that we've been going through this whole book. And, and really next week we're going to really get into where it's just like thought after thought after thought. That's why they call it the James, the, the book of Proverbs of the New Testament. 
And it's just little tidbits of like, here's how to live your life. You want some wisdom? Here, do this. But that's godly wisdom is, is reading the word of God and just beginning to live that out in your life. And sometimes that's hard to do because what we're not looking for is a checklist. Matter of fact, if you were to go ahead and, and just Google online and, and, and looked up all the rules to live your life in the Bible, you could probably do it. I imagine someone out there has is, is put together a list of, of everything the Bible says that you're supposed to do. And that's well and good, but if you just read that and tried to do those things in your life, you would fail time and time and time over and over and over again. I know, tried it when I was younger. That's how I thought Christianity worked, is you got your list of rules and you just lived them out. But if you really want to live wisely, if you really want to walk in the Word of God, you need to spend time in your Word. Because the Scripture says that, that we need to renew our mind daily. Your, your, your mind needs to kind of be scrubbed clean. It needs to get rid of that junk in the world and begin to fill it with the Word of God so you can live that out in your life. And I remember I, I stopped trying to do all these things. Instead, I spent time in, in the Word of God, and all of a sudden, I just started doing all these things because my mind was being renewed. God was changing me on the end. I finally was getting, I read in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, I'm a, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm not who I used to be. And that began to sink in. And all those things I began to read began to sink in. And I began to live them out. And finally, I started to live wisely. Because I wasn't before then. But see, the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, because there may have been a time before then that according to the world, I was living pretty wisely. But according to God, I wasn't. You see, worldly wisdom is fueled by selfish ambition. Worldly wisdom says, look out for number one. Do whatever you have to do to make sure that you and yours are okay. Worldly wisdom says that, that whatever you want, go out and get it. As long as you're happy, right? Is that worldly wisdom right now? As long as you're happy. But godly wisdom says, take how we live and take what we know and put it to work serving others. Put it to work being a blessing to others. Worldly wisdom says take what you know and put it to work setting others above yourself at all costs. I almost read my note word for word and I wrote that backwards. That would have been bad to think about that. But worldly, worldly wisdom says put your, your, yourself above others. But godly wisdom says put others above yourself. And that's completely in contradiction to the world. That's, it, it doesn't make any sense. It, does, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't compute. You're like, how, how is that going to be better for me? How is that wise to, to give to other people, to be a blessing to other people, to spend my time with other pe for other people? It doesn't make any sense. But the difference is, is godly wisdom comes from above. And worldly wisdom comes from what he says here, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's where that comes from. And earthly means from this world. Basically, earthly wisdom is whatever the world says is okay is okay. And we live in a country right now where that's way out of whack right now, what is okay in this world. And then unspiritual wisdom, that's referring to your own sensual desires. You know, the, the fleshly, or as the amp, Amplified Bible says, if you look at the Amplified Bible in this, one of the words they use is animal-like desires. And then demonic is self-explanatory. That's, that's wisdom from the devil. That's, that's the one that says, uh, uh, go out and buy a, a $40,000 car on, a, on an eight-year loan because you can afford the payments. 
and then it ties you down with debt. However, even though the worldly wisdom seems wise to the world, James says that it produces disorder. It produces uh, vile disorder in every vile practice. Worldly wisdom doesn't produce peace. It doesn't produce God. It produces all kinds of terrible stuff. And I think we can, we can all take a step back and look at what's happening in this country. And we, and we can agree on that. Worldly wisdom says that uh, we should let everybody do whatever they want to do, as long as it makes them happy. And we're seeing more division in this country than we've ever seen before. Because people are just doing whatever they want to do to make them happy, at the expense of everybody else. It's, it's, it's horrible what's going on right now. And James 3, 17 through 18 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. He's just going on to reiterate that that godly wisdom is different than worldly wisdom. It doesn't put self first. It puts others first. It doesn't sow dissension, but it sows peace. There's actually a bunch of Christians running around right now that aren't acting in godly wisdom. They're claiming to, to stand up for righteousness and stuff, but they're just tearing people down. So when I talk about this world being crazy, it's not just unchristian. There's plenty of Christians doing plenty of stupid right now. And sowing dissension and not sowing peace. Amen? And the truth is, godly wisdom doesn't always make sense. Anybody ever notice that in their life? Godly wisdom doesn't make sense. God ever told you to do something, you're like, are you sure, God? That's not how I would do it. Am I the only person that does stuff like that? Godly wisdom doesn't make sense. Matter of fact, I would say most of the time, godly wisdom doesn't make sense. Remember when, when God sent David to fight Goliath? That didn't make sense. Send out this skinny redhead boy to fight a giant. He can't put on any armor. Matter of fact, everybody thought he was crazy. Even his side. That didn't make any sense. That didn't seem very wise. To go ahead and send David against Goliath. But we know the story, right? We know what happens. He goes and he's... He's, he's successful. Knocks him out with a, with a pebble and then he cuts his head off. Done and done. Wins the battle. And he saves the lives of so many because they, they didn't battle at that point. They settled that battle on, on that one fight. How many people's lives were saved because God sent in a little kid that didn't seem like he stood a chance? Godly wisdom doesn't make sense until you realize God's behind it. And then, then it makes all kinds of sense. Amen? You guys remember when the disciples wanted to send the crowds home? And Jesus is like, no, feed them first. And they're like, I, I think Jesus needs more sleep. Because there's thousands of people out here. And all, <laughs> this is also crazy. These people aren't very, aren't very smart either. A thousand people show up, and the only person that thought to bring food was a little boy, and he brought his lunch. And the disciples are like, give me that. And take it to Jesus. <laughs> But it doesn't make any sense. Why, why would Jesus say, feed all these people? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, they're like, man, I guess we're going to have to get the credit card out. Somebody head to Costco. We've got a lot of people to feed. But Jesus goes and he takes that little boy's lunch. 
few loaves, a few fish. And that would have been, can you imagine that sight to see like every time you broke a piece off, it was still there? And he just keeps handing out the broken, and the fish and the loaves and, and everybody's fed when it didn't make any sense for them to feed those people because they couldn't afford it. Or do you remember when Paul said that they should winter in, in Fair Havens instead of pressing on to Phoenix when he was in that boat with the Roman soldiers there? And the, the, the pilot of that ship didn't think that that was a wise port to sail in because if they would have stayed there, it wouldn't have been suitable for, for, for wintering. That when the, when the storms came in, the winter came, they wouldn't be able to sail, and that wouldn't have been a good place for them. So worldly wisdom says, nope, we don't stay here. Everything looks good. Let's head out. But Paul said, no, guys, I'm telling you. God's telling me. You guys need to stay here. If we leave, everybody's going to die. And they're like, no, no, we, we got to figure it out. We know how this works. We're sailors. We've been doing this our whole lives. We don't need your God. And they set out, and what happens? Thank God. All their lives were spared, but they lost the ship. Worldly wisdom said, set out right now. This isn't a good place to say. Godly wisdom said, stay here, and everything, the ship and your lives are going to be saved. And I think God, God is, is patient, and God is gracious to us, because he said, if we leave, we're all going to die. But then when we were out there, he told Paul, you know what, I'm going to save you, and just the ship will be lost. I'm thankful that even when we act in stupidity, and worldly wisdom, instead of listening to God, He's still gracious with us. And He still, and he still loves us. And He still is there to pick us up when we're on the floor of our own doing. I thank God for that because I've put myself on the floor many a times. And the truth is, worldly wisdom says you don't do stuff like plant a house church right now. And we did it. Worldly wisdom says that you don't spend all of your time investing into a church doing all these crazy events and being a blessing to people around you. It, it says, you know what? No, spend time with your family. Stay home and relax. Don't go to music practice. Don't go to Bible studies. Don't go to church on Wednesday because all this other stuff is important, you know. But godly wisdom says spend time with other believers. Come together. And for those of you who have been with us for a long time, you know that we started from nothing and God's been faithful this whole time when it didn't make any sense. When we went Sunday after Sunday and nobody would show up except for all of us were there wondering, God, did you, did you say to do this? Did, are, are we, did we hear you correctly? But the wisdom of God is different than our wisdom. We do stuff that doesn't make sense. Amen? James 4, 1 through 4. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, you do not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's a pretty harsh statement, huh? So first I want to make some things clear here. James is not speaking to non-Christians right now. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to you and I. He's not speaking to non-Christians saying that if you love the world, you're an enemy of God. He's saying that if you're a Christian and you love the world, you're making yourself an enemy of God. And he's speaking to Christians that should know better. All of us should know better. 
You know, if you just recently got saved, you're a brand new believer, you have a little bit of leeway as you spend time more to learn. But, but as far as I know, most of us in this room have been Christians for a long time. We should know better about these kind of things. And the truth is, when our eyes are set on the world, it causes no end of problems. You want more problems in your life? Just focus on what the world says is right. Because what it does is it puts our focus on ourselves. And it causes all kinds of stupid feelings to well up inside of us. It causes our passions at war with the, to go at war with us. We, we, what happens is, is when you get born again, you have the Spirit of God coming to live inside of you. But when you are focusing on the world, that inside of you is at odds with the, the worldly stuff going on. The Spirit of God is at odds. You ever wonder why when you, when, you, when, you, when you stumble, you fall, and you sin, why you feel bad about it, why it doesn't feel right? Because it's in contrast to who you are, who you've been remade to be. It's contrary to, your, to the new nature that's inside of you. That's why it feels weird. That's why it doesn't feel right. And this, this causes all kinds of weird desires, if you let that go, to well up inside of us. It feels contrary, but if you, if you keep squashing the Spirit of God and begin to let that go, eventually you can silence the Spirit of God inside. Have you ever noticed that? You do something wrong long enough and all of a sudden it doesn't, you don't feel bad about it anymore? Because you begin to suppress that contradiction. And it, and it stirs up inside of you all kinds of crazy things, and it, and it causes people to do all kinds of stupid, crazy stuff. It goes on to say it causes fights and quarrels, fights and, and quarrels among them. It says, then they start wanting stuff that they don't have, so it even cause you to murder. And then he goes on to say, the problem is, you don't have anything because you don't ask. You know, God's not opposed to you having stuff. He's not opposed to you living a good life. He's not opposed to you having a good job. He's not opposed to you having a nice car. He's not opposed to you having any of those things. Just like we want for our children to live a great life, we want our children to be happy, to have everything they need. God wants the same thing for us. He's not opposed to those things. God is not opposed to you being blessed. Quite the opposite. But he is opposed to you wanting all that stuff for the wrong reason. He says the reason you, you desire, you covet, and you can obtain, so you fight and quarrel, but you do not have because you do not ask. But then he goes, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passion. You see, those with their eyes on the world begin asking for themselves, for asking for stuff for the wrong reasons. They, they end up doing it for the whole, the whole worldly wisdom stuff. Wisdom stuff. They, wanna, they, you know, they want the cars, they want the, the house, they want all that stuff. Not to be a blessing to the kingdom of heaven, but just so that they can look good. They can keep up with the Joneses, basically. And their, their, their priorities are a little, a, little, a little messed up. And basically what it is, is they're putting something else in front of God. And we all do that from time to time. I'm no different. There's times I find myself putting other stuff in front of God. More often than I'd like to admit. And I don't think I'm different than any of you guys. More often than not, we put stuff in front. And he goes on to say, you adulterous people. He's not talking about people cheating on their spouses right here. He's talking about basically people cheating on God. 
You'll find in the Old Testament over and over and over again, God will refer to people that have walked away from him as an adulterous people. And we can sometimes think that this is just harmless, that it's not really a big deal, that there's nothing wrong with doing some of these things. We begin to justify. We begin to make excuses. We begin to to do all these things. Oh, no, it's okay. Or sometimes we'll, we'll claim our Christian liberty wrongly. We see that actually happening in the church in a lot of places right now. There's a lot of, of um, very uncouth doctrine being allowed in some churches because their, their eyes are on the wrong thing. And we think it's harmless. But James goes on to say, it's not harmless. It's putting you in direct opposition to God. It's actually making yourself an enemy of God. I don't want to be an enemy of God. I want to be walking right with God. I mean, he's done so much for me. He sent his son to make me brand new, to make me pure, to make me victorious, to secure my place in heaven. But not only that, to secure a little bit of heaven on earth right now so that I can be whole. He's done so much for me. Why would I want to be an enemy of someone who gave up so much? He gave his, he gave his life for me. I don't want to be his enemy. I want to do everything that I can to be in relationship with him, to share in the love that he's giving out so freely to me. So when we put our eyes on the world, not only are we turning our back at God, but we're also actively opposing him. We're becoming his enemy. And the worst part is, is it's of our own choice. It doesn't say that whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes God an enemy to him. It's not God making the change. It's not, it says that when we do that, we make ourselves an enemy of God. It's our own choice. Even after he put everything in place so that we could no longer be enemies with him. God encourages all to let's seek his kingdom first. Matthew 6, 31-33 says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Because that's the answer to all of this, right? It says that we, we covet and cannot obtain, so we fight and quarrel. We do not have because we don't ask. But when we do ask, we don't receive because we're asking wrongly. The answer to that is, is, like, is Matthew 6, 31-33. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Put God first, and he will bless you more than you could ever imagine. And when you put God first, you can know that you're not going to be asking wrongly, because if your eyes are on God, the things that you ask for are going to be godly things. You know, when your eyes are on God, you're not going to be asking for sinful things. You're not going to be asking for bad things. You're not going to be asking. If your eyes are on God and you're with Him, you're not going to be asking for your neighbor to split up with his wife so that you can get with her. You're going to be asking for godly things. And if you seek first His kingdom, these things will be added to you. And I've lived this out in my own life. I've seen what God has done in my life and not just in my life. I've seen it in so many other people's lives. Pastor Wayne, do you really believe this? Absolutely. Why? Because I was there when it happened in my life. I was there when it happened in other people's lives. When they put God first, all of a sudden, blessing poured out into their lives. Does that mean that we all got rich? No. 
Does that mean that we don't have struggles? No. Does that mean that there's not tough months where you have more month than money? I've had that happen plenty of times. But what it does mean is that God always provides. I'm never without a home. I'm never without shelter. I'm never without the things that we need. Because God provides when you put his kingdom first. And that's even when I've given way more than I had to give. Amen? And James 4, 5 through 10, it says, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So much to unpack. Did you guys know that, that God is jealous for us? God actively wants you in his life. And he doesn't want the world, he doesn't want the enemy to have you. He wants you for himself. He wants to be in relationship with you. And that is an incredible feeling, and some of us don't even recognize it. I just, as you guys know, I just recently le- or will be leaving the job that I'm at right now. I work, for those of you who don't know, I work full-time. I don't get paid to, for this church. I, I have to have a job to, to pay the bills and all that stuff. I work all during the week. And I just got a new job. I start next, uh, next Monday, not this, the 17th. Um, so I start the 17th. And, uh, and it's, it's actually been quite amazing because when I went and turned in my notice to, to, my, to my boss right now, I was, I was kind of dismayed because he just went, you know, I expected this, basically. He's, you, know, you know, he said, I'm not surprised, were his exact words. He said, I'm not surprised. And it kind of threw me off. And it kind of, you know, it really it made me feel like that I, I didn't have any value to him, that I was unwanted or, because that, that was it. There was no, it was just, I'm not surprised. There was no attempt to ask why or, or any of those things that you might expect if somebody valued you and wanted you around. But the place that I'm going to, they want me. They, they pursued me. They want me in this position. They, they want me to work. And I have to tell you, it's a completely different feeling to have somebody actually want you to be a part of their team, to be a part of their, and that's a world, that's just a job. The God of the universe wants you in his life. He wants you to be in relationship with him. He wants you to spend time with him, and he's a jealous God. He doesn't want to share you with everything else that's going on in this world. I don't know about you, but just somebody wanted me to work for made me feel pretty good inside, but the truth is the God of the universe, the creator of everything, wants me. wants me jealously, enough to cause jealousy when, when something else tries to pull me away from him. Can you imagine that? That's how much God wants. He doesn't want you tangled up in this other stuff. And his desire to have us is the reason that he has also provided grace. He's provided that grace that it's talking about right here. And that grace is just everything that he's accomplished in his son. His desire to have us caused him to send his only begotten son to die on the cross for you. That's how bad he wanted you that he sent his son himself, came down to this earth as a man and died for you. That's how much he wants you. And he wants us to depend on him. 
And the reason why it says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble is because the devil wants you to rely on yourself. The proud rely on themselves, but God wants you to rely on him. He gives grace to those who rely on him. The proud man doesn't need God, but the humble man is wise enough, is smart enough to recognize that he does. And when I say the proud man doesn't need God, I'm not saying that that's what he thinks. The truth is he needs God too, probably more than the humble man at that point. The humble man realizes that he needs God, and without God he's unable to meet the requirements of righteousness. But thank God in his son, we become righteous because of what his son has done for us. But the reality is, is that the devil's not going to give up. He's going to continue on pursuing after you. You see, the devil can't win. You know, there's this whole idea in movies that there's going to be some final battle where, where there's God fighting the devil and there's this chance that the devil's going to win. That's, that's not how it's going to happen. The, the devil is already lost. His only, his only move that he has left is to bring people with him. So, you know, misery loves company. He wants people with him. His only move is to pull you away and he's going to continue to pursue you. And that's what he says right here. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. If you resist, he's got nowhere to go. He has no authority over you. He has no strength. He has no anything over you except for what you'll give him. So if you resist him, he will flee. But then it says, draw near to God and what? He will draw near to you. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you look at all these other man-made gods. Like You look at the Greek gods and there are all these gods that, that just like to toy with people. And they didn't want anything to do with them except to be their puppets. But our God, the God of the universe, the one true God, he wants to draw near to you. He wants to spend time. He cares about you. That's amazing. If we resist the devil, he has no choice but to flee. But the key is drawing near to God. And it's not a hard thing to do, but it is a choice that we have to make. Revelations 3, 20-21 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on the throne. God is right there waiting for you to draw into him, to go and answer the door. Can you imagine if the President of the United States showed up on your doorstep and was knocking and, and you didn't answer the door. Now, uh, some of you may feel that way about the man, but the office is still the office of the President of the United States, and that office still deserves our respect. Amen? And if the President shows up on your door, you better answer the door because that's what, uh, that's what an honorable person does. But can you imagine if somebody just let them there knocking and knocking? President... That's what so many people do with God right now. And I tell you what, he's much more worthy of honor than the president of this United States, or any states for that matter, any country. Oh, so many of us leave him just knocking. He just wants to come in and be a part of your life. So that's our challenge. That's our, our responsibility is to be a people who draw near to him with, with humbleness. And what that means is recognizing that you need him, that you can't do without him. That's what we should be doing is, is recognize, God, I need you. I can't do it. And draw into him. And in doing so, this is the craziest part. We will be exalted in him. 
That doesn't make any sense to me either, but that's godly wisdom and not mine. But when we, when we press into him, he exalts us. How crazy is that? James 4, 11 through 12 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You know, we should also be paying attention to how we speak to one another. We're not to stand in judgment of one another. Now, don't hear me wrong. That's not to say that we are, are not to stand and, and, and allow sin to run rampantly. But we're not to stand in judgment of one another. When somebody stumbles, we don't judge them or, or, or start kicking them when they're down. We remind them of who they are in Christ, and we lift them up, and we encourage one another. Because the reason we don't stand in judgment is basically you're holding them up to a yardstick that even you can't match. We need to speak to, to our brothers, even when they stumble and fall, is those who are redeemed. Those who God loves, those who He sent His Son to die for, those who are perfect in Christ. Instead of speaking evil to them, speak words of encouragement to them. He says, don't speak evil against one another. When someone falls, we shouldn't be going to, our, to our, you know, the, the person we sit next to in church and tell them, did you hear about so-and-so? Don't do it in a Christian way either. You know, the Christian way to gossip is saying, hey, let's, I want you to pray for so-and-so. I'm beginning to spill the beans. Something else too, if you've got people coming up to tell you all that stuff, you need to, to think about that as well because if you didn't let people gossip around you, they wouldn't come to you to give you gossip. We need to not speak evil to people. We need to encourage them. And like I said, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about rampant sin. I'm not talking about unrepentant sin. When people stumble and fall, that's a completely different story. And we all do it from time to time. So let's encourage one another. Amen? The truth is that our judgment's not going to send them to heaven or hell. Our judgment has no power anyway in their lives. It doesn't have the power to save them or to destroy them. We don't have that kind of power. But we do have the power to declare victory and righteousness in our lives. We do have the power to declare forgiveness of sins and their freedom thereof. We have the power to remind them, to lift them up, to build them up. We have the power to make a difference and an impact in their lives. And we should be known by our love. That's what Jesus said, right? That we should be known by our love for one another. Amen. So man, there's so much stuff and I'm running out of time, so we're going to end it. We're going to wrap it up right here. So maybe we will have nine. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Hallelujah. But uh, yeah, let's, let's be a people who are going to lift each other up and encourage one another, love one another. Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet. Hallelujah.